Welcome to the very first episode of Pod to the Left. This is Mary-Kate. This is Vic. This is Andrew. And we're here to talk all things politics with you guys for the next hour. So welcome. I hope you enjoy this. Alright, so let's get to it. One thing that this podcast will be doing is just covering what's going on in the world around us, especially what's been going on with the midterms next week and all the political events that are leading up to that. There's just so much going on in the news every single day. I feel like everyone says that every single day for the past, what, two years since Trump has been in office. I mean, it's true. It seems like every week there is something new going on. And it's our first episode, and I was trying to think of what we were going to talk about, and we were, the three of us, creating a list of different topics. And I think at first we were going to talk about maybe the migrant caravan or the Khashoggi murder with Saudi Arabia, but then the bomb threats happened last week with the man in Florida uh, planning to attack key Democratic uh, leaders and members of the media like CNN, and then the mass shooting occurred in in the synagogue in Pittsburgh. So, I mean, there's just so much to cover, but uh, let's start with the mass shooting. I think it's the one that's most prevalent in people's minds. Obviously, it was terrible what had occurred in Pittsburgh. Uh, 11 people, right? I think so. 11 people died. Awful. And I think there were like 20 some injured yeah i'm not sure in the exact number sorry but i think it's like 23 or 24 it was truly truly horrific and that event also encapsulated so much of the political turmoil and division in this country the the shooter i, I won't mention his name but uh he was using an ar-15 and he obtained it legally he had over 20 guns in his possession, uh, I don't know if he brought all twenty guns, but he had twenty guns registered with him. So I think he had two other handguns. Right, right, yeah, two other handguns and the AR-15. He went in there and just wanted to. Uh, he said, "I want to kill all Jews." And I mean, I think with all the religious division, I guess we could say, with the Muslim ban and people. The power of the evangelical Christian right today in the political world, I, I guess I didn't really expect that that Judaism, I guess, would be on attack again, yeah. you know, and when I saw that on the news, it was kind of crazy, and uh, when, he started, when I started reading into it, uh, I was reading up about this website called Gab. Did you guys read about it? It's, uh, yeah. it's a political, it's kind of like Twitter and Reddit mixed together, but for alt-right, oh, far-right people. And this is a website that this guy was using, and he was talking about how he hated groups like Hias, H-I-A-S, I think that's how you say it. And yeah. he was saying how the members of Hias, which are a Hebrew immigration group that helps people seeking asylum, how those people are bringing dirty refugees into our country. And that, I mean, just this crazy off-right stuff that you just wouldn't believe and I don't know it's crazy to me that this is the type of discourse that many people in this country are having 
it's crazy that it's getting attention. Like a bunch of alt right white nationalist people post yeah. on that. Uh, I don't know. I wanted to hear your I thoughts know. about it. Yeah. I, I was uh, listening to an NPR podcast this morning about it, and they were the way I am understanding what Gab is now is like Facebook for people who are kicked off of Facebook for their views being too radical. Right. Oh um, which is, I just can't believe that something like that is existing. And there was just, I was also reading about how um, a lot of Orthodox Jews didn't even hear about what had happened to later because it happened on the Sabbath and oh, you don't use technology on the Sabbath. Wow. And so there's so many people who didn't even know about this awful thing that happened to their own community until much later because of that. And I just can't imagine being in your place of worship and being under attack. It's just such a scary place. You think of that as a safe space. You know, you don't think of someone coming in and harming you there. I did want to just take a minute while we are mentioning this um, to name off the victims just so we can oh, honor them a little bit. There's yeah, um, Melvin Wax, Irvin Younger, Jerry Rabinwitz, and these two next to her brothers, Cecil and David Rosenthal, Rose Malinger. Wait, real quick about her. She was a Holocaust survivor. Yeah, she was the oldest victim. She was 97. Oh um, Bernice and Sylvan Simon, who were married at that temple in the 1950s. Um, Daniel Stein, Joyce Feinberg, Richard Gottfried, and his last one. I'm trying to remember which one of the victims. I'm sorry, I can't think of who it is right now, but one of them was a doctor um, who during the AIDS epidemic in the 80s and 90s in Pittsburgh was a huge supporter of all the LGBT people there. There are people who are talking about how he just made all the people who are suffering from AIDS and HIV feel really comfortable. He would sit there and like hold their hand and like wouldn't wear gloves. He like wasn't scared of them and would just try to comfort people while they were going through awful times. These were really amazing people who just... Your heart breaks. Yeah, it's very heartbreaking. I think every single time that we see on the news that this mass shooting occurs, it breaks your heart. But at the same time, I'm so not surprised by it. Mm-hmm. It's I'm so dull to it when I see on the news that a mass shooting has occurred, and whether at a school or even at a place of worship. I mean, in 2015, I believe, there was the mass shooting in South Carolina, the South Carolina church. Yeah. And now at a synagogue and countless school shootings. I mean, it really, it makes you wonder what's a safe place to go to. Yeah. And it, it breaks my heart when I, when I see the, the president talk about instead of gun reform, instead of maybe taking an AR-15 out of the hands of a shooter, instead of talking about that, he's talking about the death penalty. Yeah. And he's saying, oh, well... Gun reform has nothing to do with, with what just occurred, which is awful. We should just give this guy the death penalty, and that's just supposed to make us feel better. Yeah. Instead of talking about a solution and talking about some comprehensive reforms that will make our community safer. I mean, I, I hear the, the, the arguments about, you know, we should just put some armed bodyguards everywhere, but then are we going to put a bodyguard at a church and at a synagogue? Morally, that doesn't really ring well yeah. with me, you know, a gun right in church, you know, it, it just doesn't sound right. That's not where our society should be going. I wanted to hear what you guys thought about that. Well, I know, like, from firsthand experience, I get so anxious in public places now, whether it's the grocery store, like recently, the guy who shot two people at Kroger. Did you guys hear about that? 
Yeah. He tried to go. Shoot it was up. two. Was it the two African American people yeah, that I got think, shot, yeah, and went, it was racially motivated? Yeah. yeah. So like going to a grocery store. Like I think about it every time I'm at the movie theater. Like, oh my god, where's the closest exit? Like if a shooter comes in, it's just something that's always in the back of my mind now, which is not how I want to be living. That with the movie theater, yeah. I feel the same exact way. If you ask any single person that's gone to a movie with me, they will tell you after the movie, I tell them every time how I get very tense and I'm always looking around. God forbid someone stands up to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. I get terrified. Oh, I know. And that's just the culture that especially our generation is growing up in. And for us 20, 21 year olds, maybe it wasn't 9-11 we were too young for that i was four years old i'm we're all 21 22 yeah. you know we were too young to really experience that but for us it was the constant mass shootings on tv in the news and for the many people that have experienced it i mean it's something completely else and it just shocks me that it's been I can't even. The first mass shooting I remember was the movie theater shooting. That, yeah, that's, in Aurora. That, that's the first one that was on the news and. The yeah, the Dark Knight. Yeah, I, because I wanted to watch the Dark Knight as probably any other kid that age, and. Yeah, and I think that was like a midnight showing, and I yeah. used to go to those all the time because yeah. they're supposed to be fun. You don't think about, oh, I'm gonna die because I want to watch a movie at midnight. Right, like, and I mean, ever since then, it's not even a yearly thing anymore. It's no. a. Maybe every few months type of news event, and we're just so numb to it. I walked around campus today; no one talked about it. Didn't seem like big news, really. And that's the type of society we're in. And I mean, it's sad. Mary. Yeah. Well, that's. I feel like after any of these incidences happen, you have half the people are saying, sending our thoughts and prayers. It's too soon to talk about gun reform, anything like that. And then the other half are talking about gun reform. And then it feels like two weeks later, all the discussion is off the table mm-hmm. and we're moving on. And I just feel like, well, we either need to figure out when it's time to talk about solutions and actually figure out something and just not forget about mass shootings right after they happen. Like, it's it's ridiculous. I feel like the, the we're cra- just numb now. And I feel like a lot of that goes back to Sandy Hook because we were OK with the mass murder of children. And that's just really scary regardless of if you feel like we need more gun control or if we need more mental health reform we don't have either and that happened when we were sophomores juniors in high school that happened like six years ago i think i didn't even remember sandy hook when i was trying to think of all the mass shootings yeah there are so many yeah that happened so long ago and that i mean i feel like people widely accept that like the killing of children is as bad as it gets right if we can't get gun reform from a mass shooting at an elementary school or at a high school or at a church or synagogue, which are some of the most core foundational places, school and church in our society, then we're going to need a new Congress to, uh, to, to get some actual action done. Yeah. Well, I think it doesn't help to have members of Congress who are in the NRA's pocket. Is that yeah? Cause like Trump's totally pushing like NRA, he's like, oh, well, you know, he's c- coming back with the, if we had more armed guards there, this wouldn't have happened. He said the same thing about Parkland, too. And it's just like, I, I, it doesn't make any sense to me how you fix more, the gun problem with more guns. 
the craziest part about all this is no one's talking about gun reform right now. I mm-hmm. I, I go on on Twitter, reading the news, trying to figure out what's going on, what people are saying. People are just still maybe in shock. I don't know, but it's like we've already moved on to the midterms. Even Trump kind of added to this, not about the mass shooting, but about the bomb threats. Usually if in another presidency and another administration, that bomb threat would have been one of the craziest Mm -hmm. news stories of that entire tenure, that entire administration. But it's just another week. And Trump was even saying just uh, all this talk about the bombs is slowing down our uh, slowing down the Republican numbers in the polls for the midterm. Yeah. And it's kind of crazy. It seems like he's equating these threats, not even equating. He's saying these midterms are just, you know, so much more than. Yeah. Than the threats or this mass shooting, because that's all that people are talking about. You you go on Twitter. It's how is this going to affect the midterm? Well, even today, there was the White House press conference, and a reporter asked Sarah Huckabee Sanders, is the president <laughs> going to continue to pit Democrats and Republicans against each other? Like, Because we've seen like consequences of that, Like, because if you take his argument where the media is making things like more hyper-partisan by reporting on all of this, or if you take um, the other side that's like, well, they're reporting what's coming out of their mouths, right. um, and whether or not we should be giving them that much airtime is its own separate argument, I feel like. But they were asking, they're like, you know, the polarization between the two parties, the president talking about how the media is the enemy of the people, and CNN has now received three suspicious packages from this incident. Like, and Sarah Huckabee Sanders was like, no, he is going to keep pitting them against each other. Like, we have races to win, and I feel like that's crazy to, like, keep pitting each other, pitting things against each other like that, all for advancing your own political agenda and keeping your position in the house and i feel like regardless of what happens next tuesday from the midterms they're still going to control probably two-thirds of the government like they still have the presidency they're still going to have the supreme court they might lose control of i think it looks like the house yeah the house will probably go blue according to the polls and uh, one can only hope I think it's. I mean, it really goes to, I guess, maybe not who's to blame, but who's responsible for the civil discourse in this in in the times that right now. You know, is it the is it the president? Where I mean, yeah, I think him going and blaming the media for what's going on with the division in our country and calling Democrats, you know, a mob party and. Name name calling, seeming every politician that stands up to him. Yeah, that probably is going to incite some division. Yeah. And that probably was, a, in my opinion, a, a key motivator for the, the bomb threats and what, and what happened there. I mean, if the leader of your party, if the leader of some of the most powerful man in the world, in my opinion, the president of the United States, yeah. The leader is out in a constant basis, negativity after negativity, just attacking a single party. Of course, you're going to have supporters crazy as they are. And I mean, you know, there's crazy people on all sides yeah. of the of the spectrum. The 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 guy in the Scalisi uh, in the house softball shooting where oh, Steve yeah. Scalisi died. He was a volunteer for. 
Bernie Sanders. You know, there's crazy people in all parts of the world, people that think left, people that think right. But when the president of the United States is talking about and inciting violence in his rhetoric, of course it's going to motivate people to do crazy things like that. Yeah. And it's going to motivate people, but I feel like it's also, I feel like we're doing a bad job of keeping media accountable for some of the things, too, that they report. Mm -hmm. There's different, like, obviously all media is going to be politically motivated, one side or the other opinionated. But I feel like if we just took a break from reporting every single thing he tweets and every single, single thing he says, I feel like we could lower his platform, maybe. I mean, he would rail against the media then for not reporting on him at all, but I feel like there is a lot. The, to unpack here. The the one thing I would have to say to that is they wouldn't, if they tone it down just a little, I would be afraid as a citizen that the government, you know, even if this was left wing, right wing, doesn't matter. If the if journalists aren't doing their job to the utmost extent, people in power are going to take advantage of that. It's true. And, I mean, we already have an administration that has, <laughs> that is under investigation yeah. during an election with a country like Russia, you know. So imagine if journalists weren't doing the job that they're doing now. Who knows what would be going that's on? That's true. Yeah. You know, and that's and that's even if it was a left-wing, right-wing, you know, we see it all around the world. There's left-wing countries where they shut down journalists and the journalists aren't able to do their jobs yeah. to the best of their abilities. And there's a lot of atrocities that come from that. So... I think that it's not in me to to blame journalists for doing their job. Yeah. I think it's maybe how partisan journal some journalism has yeah. become. Yeah. I I would just say I think going forward it, I just hope we don't have <laughs> journalists like Lou Dobbs that go and, you know, he was saying when the bomb threats were happening. We could talk about it after the break, yeah. but he was saying how, you know, the bomb threats could be fake. It could be planted by the Democrats. Oh my god. And he's on Fox News, the most watched cable television show. And so journalists have to know the power that they have. And I mean, maybe he does. And that's why he says things like that. But it's just something to think about. I think he does. I feel like that is definitely a way for him to capture more viewers, too. Oh, yeah. If they think about that. Um, Yeah. So that is our first very happy, uplifting (laughs) story for you guys. So I wanted to bring up. Something that I saw actually on Facebook, which I know, don't get your news from Facebook, but I actually found an article about it and I saw the photos. So there was this Kentucky father and his name's Bryant Goldback and his son, who's five years old, they went to a like trick or treating party this weekend in their neighborhood in Kentucky. And he dressed as a member of the Nazi party and he dressed his son, who's five years old, up as Adolf Hitler. And His defense was that, quote, anyone who knows us knows that we love our history and often dress the part of historical figures. A lot of things to unpack here. I just feel like if you're going to dress up as a historical figure, why are you choosing arguably, not arguably, the worst person in history to dress up as? Like, and then he also said on Facebook that he wasn't like a white supremacist and he wasn't racist. But the year before he went dressed as a Confederate soldier So I don't know how well I believe him. And then his wife, there were comments that she made on Facebook released to the Huffington Post saying some really awful things about Jewish people, which just further incriminate him. I mean, they're like 
just all it's a lot of like holocaust denying comments yeah. that are really dangerous to have a platform and being able to push those out there yeah but, and it's so upsetting because you see a news article like this you know how people can comment on like the huffington post or whatever and people just come in they're like trump 2020 and i'm like ah, i can't believe this like where do we draw the line it's just yeah. the fact that people are denying the Holocaust still and think that this is OK are do not understand what happened in our past. And if we let this continue, it's going to happen again. And we're not looking so hot given the Pittsburgh shooting that just happened in a Jewish synagogue. So I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I mean, I'm against people dressing as Nazis. Yeah. I feel like I need to I feel like I shouldn't have to make that statement, but I'm just going to say that out anyways. The- I think the guy said something about it's part of history and yeah. he's dressing to... He loves to be a loves historical to be historical figure. figures. And what that reminded me of was the argument in some southern states from people saying, you know, I don't want to take down the uh, Confederate flag or statues of Robert E. Lee because it's part of our history and it's part of our culture. I don't buy that. I mean, no. that that argument to me just degrades the the lives of so many African Americans that they see a Confederate flag, they see uh, Statue of Robert E. Lee in their society, and I can't even imagine what that feels like. I can only imagine how degrading and how much less than you would feel. And as I mean, my family on my dad's side is Jewish. I can't imagine, you know, them opening a door and seeing a a kid dressed up in Nazi paraphernalia and whatnot, Nazi uniform. That would be disgusting. And just that argument of, well, it's part of our history. Yeah, it's okay to recognize that something occurred. But in my mind, I think it's another to glorify that it's another thing to put that on and maybe say, you know, this is funny. Because, you, you know, that could be an argument. You know, mm-hmm. This is funny. It's Halloween. Oh, it's a joke. It, it's a joke. Ha yeah. ha. The Holocaust wasn't a joke. No. Slavery's not a joke. The That is the darkest points of history in our humanity. And I think about that with even Megyn Kelly and her blackface comments. Oh, yeah. And in my opinion, we just, as a country, we need to do a better job in educating people in, I guess, those sensitive areas and the sensitivity of why it's not polite and why it's not correct and right to put a black face on, why it's why we shouldn't have Confederate flags uh, in front of our houses. I, I work in Delaware uh, for, I volunteer for a lady running for state representative and she i've gone canvassing around the the district and every once in a while i'll be driving from house to house and i'll see a confederate flag on the road and we're in delaware this i wouldn't consider this the south (laughs) but it's amazing to me that that sort of culture which wasn't really born out of the northeast Mm -hmm. is prevalent here let alone at all and that's something that we as citizens have to to change. We have to educate future generations. We have to go out and talk against that and tell people that's wrong. And I mean, we even 
another example, the president. I remember the president was like for keeping the statue of Robert E. Lee because yeah. it's our history. And he said, what's next, George Washington? Because uh, he had slaves too. And I think that's a completely unfair argument to have. Yeah. You know, one guy created a democracy in this country. He was the first president. And the other tried to break that democracy and mm-hmm. tried to tried to create a government within this land that was okay with slavery. To have a, f- a statue and a flag still in our country that represents those values, it, it, it's crazy. Going off of what you said, I think people like this feel empowered by Trump and his rhetoric. You know, like he doesn't condemn neo-Nazis and who did he call? There were good people on both sides. Do you remember that? That was that the cut? Charlottesville yeah. rally. So, like, his followers or people who support him think that this is okay and that, yeah, it's just a joke or, oh, I don't care if it's insensitive. It's just. Well, even like Megyn Kelly, after her blackface and her apology, she was like, well, I'm just not used to the PC culture. And that's like one of those things that, like, well, this isn't about being politically correct. Like, you were, like, I feel like her whole thing was like, well, it's not racism it's appreciation of diana ross like that's why you should be able to wear blackface if you're dressing as diana ross because you're appreciating her and it's like well if you're the way i look at it is if you really do appreciate her culture you won't feel the need to dress as it or if Mm -hmm. you are dressing as diana ross don't paint your face or anything like you can go as people without making it a caricature or anything like that like what i think about is just people don't really understand the historical context behind blackfacing and why it's inappropriate i'm sure that that megan kelly growing up she maybe she didn't have that education and she didn't understand the the context of why that's so inappropriate and she didn't have i'm sure the culture she grew up in it didn't even have the same sense of i guess equality that there is now or the urgency for equality that there is yeah we passed the uh, the Voting Rights Act in 64 and 65, and that legally, you know, people would say that African Americans are on the same foot. But there's still so much injustice, you know. You could go to the criminal justice system mm-hmm. about, and, and see that. And there's so much racism still that African Americans, minorities in general, have to deal with that I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of Americans aren't educated in that culture. And in that sense, I feel bad for her that she doesn't know, you know? Yeah, yeah. it's pretty interesting. Um, I don't know. I wasn't here this weekend, so I didn't get to see any what Delaware students were dressing oh. as. But I do know Thursday night I was at a restaurant on Main Street and there was a couple next to me. And the guy was talking about how he was mad because in his fraternity group chat, the president told them they can't wear sombreros because that is appropriation. And he was saying... He's not appropriating the culture. He appreciates Hispanic culture. And so he feels like because he has so much appreciation for them, he can wear his sombrero and poncho for the weekend. And I was just like, this is like, again, like the same thing. If you appreciate the culture, you would understand why you can't dress as like you would understand like the caricature. And I just, yeah, I don't know what people are dressed as this weekend here, but I saw a lot of ponchos and uh, sombreros on Main Street. So, yeah. I think one thing that we touched on earlier, just, I mean, I guess me personally, I think of everything this past weekend or this past week, bomb threats with uh, targeting 
Democrats and then the 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 mass shooting and then the the fact that Trump is saying you know he wants to put uh, military on the border for this migrant mm-hmm. caravan. Like I think me personally, like well, man, I'm half Jewish on my father's side, my mother's side's Mexican. <laughs> this is this is not a good time. Yeah. We, we were just in terms of I guess fear, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's it's strange because you go on social media and you see people, you know, talking in a negative way towards Im- immigrants or they're, you know, on that Gab website talking about how they are celebrate. They, they were saying how they celebrate uh, the the shooting that occurred towards uh, towards the synagogue. And I'm thinking to myself, well, man, I'm just in this worst situation, you know, yeah. and I'm sure there's a lot other Mexican Jewish people out there and it's or just people in minorities in general uh, women are uh, women aren't a minority in this country in terms of population mm-hmm. I think they're in population larger than men mm-hmm. but politically I would say that they are a minority oh, yeah. and it's strange times so scary time in america out there for 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 men for young men for young, young men. no right forever right. scary time yes. right they gotta we gotta be careful out mm-hmm. here i guess yeah all right welcome back to pod on the left um during our little break we did have a caller question um and she was talking about regarding our last little conversation about uh, cultural costumes and just cultural beliefs and stuff like that she was talking about how she has a lot of pakistani and indian friends who it's very common for them and their family to like bleach their skin or put on a lot of makeup to appear a little bit whiter. So I know, Andrew, you had some comments on that. I was just going to say how I know in Mexican Latin culture, it is there's this stereotype of the darker your skin is, the poorer you are because you're oh. out in the fields. Oh. So I maybe it's uh, in a similar light in Pakistani culture, but I do know that in Latin America, the lighter skin you have, you are perceived to be richer because you are indoors, you maybe have an office job with good pay. And when you think about the, I guess, celebrities in Latin culture, mm-hmm. it's, a lot of them tend to have some lighter skin. Yeah. And it that's a huge issue. In America, racism is between African-Americans and white people or minorities of yeah. different ethnic backgrounds but I'm, I'm only speaking to what i know uh it, in mexico in latin america the racism is a lot of racism is between people of indigenous cultures and people of uh like spanish culture from spain and mm-hmm. the the blood the bloodline that you have so that that's the race racism I guess my closing point is yeah. it's everywhere mm-hmm. and it's it doesn't just encompass the United States and the different ethnic groups that we yeah. have here and different racial groups it's it's all over so yeah. uh whoever was called in thank you that's a really great talking point yeah. and yeah. I'm sure we will be talking about that at some point yeah. later this semester later in the year I do know there's a long history of colorism within the US too mm-hmm. um a lot of it like going back to Jim Crow with like the one drop rule where it was like if you have like one drop of African-American blood in you then you 
are like considered African American, and it goes back like I think it's like one sixty fourth. Like it's like a crazy long back, and so a lot of people were like it was more preferred to be light skinned. So mm-hmm. I know a lot of it does go back to that. I just it's a really interesting topic, and maybe we'll be able to bring some people on to talk yeah, about definitely. that later on because that would be a really great. I feel like we could fill an entire hour just talking about that one. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, about colorism in general. And we were going to shift paces down um, to uh, like to Texas and the border in general. Um, just really quickly talk about, so um, Texas, their attorney general, Ken Paxton, is has created this voter fraud commission. And Texas has a lot of voter ID laws. Um, I know like to vote in Texas, you have to have an ID with you. And they like scan it and that's how you get your ballot and everything. And like... You can use a hunting license. You can use a handgun license, but you have to have some kind of ID. It's really weird. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's very interesting. They have. I just voted at home in Texas last week, and they have like a big list of what you can and can't use as your ID. Um, so it is like really interesting. It has to have a photo on it, which handgun license and hunting license do. I guess I don't have either, but apparently they do. Um, but Ken Paxton has created a voter fraud commission to try to tackle voter fraud, and it seems like on face value that sounds really great. But it kind of has been reported this weekend on NPR in some local Texas publications about how this is kind of looking more as like a voter intimidation tactic. Um, the first person he sentenced to jail was a documented immigrant from Mexico. Her name was Laura Janeth Garza. Um, and she had thought that she could vote because she had papers um, and didn't realize you had to be a citizen. And she cast a ballot. She was sen- sentenced to 10 years in jail um, 10-year probation and a $10,000 fine. And after all of that, she will be deported to Mexico. That one was, you know, she wasn't legally able to vote, never was, but it also never didn't affect any outcome of an election. And this seems like a pretty steep um, punishment. for Definitely a political punishment, yeah. if yeah. anything. It does, yeah. It's not the type of punishment that fits the crime. Yeah. And the second woman who was... Um, sentenced in this voter fraud commission was Crystal Mason from Fort Worth, Texas. Um, She voted. She was convicted on tax fraud for five years um, and her was released early and casted a provisional ballot, which I'm not sure if they have those everywhere. But in Texas, if you're not sure if you are eligible to vote, you cast a provisional ballot and then it's up to the secretary of state um, to figure out whether or not your vote will count. And so she cast a provisional ballot. It turned out she wasn't able to vote yet because her you have to serve the full time and then you can vote. And so they sentenced her for five years in prison, which, again, which she had just served a five-year sentence. Um, and now he's going after, he's calling it a voter fraud ring in Fort Worth. Um, where After two people got caught? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, where, after two people got caught, um, one was not in Fort Worth, one was. But now he's going after this voter fraud ring. He's saying they're all Democrats, they're all women of color, and they're activist in Como, which is historically one of a really is a really low socioeconomic class neighborhood in Fort Worth. It's one of our poorest neighborhoods. Um, it's they used to bus the kids out of Como for school and like bus in kids with higher socioeconomics. And it just did not work back when busing was a thing for public schools. Um, and these women were elementary school teachers. And then now they're taking a year off to try to get people to vote, try to change the politics in Texas. But they're being sued right now by our and being prosecuted by the um, attorney general for voter fraud. They're saying that these women were filling out absentee ballots for some of the older people in the neighborhood. And it's all this stuff that I don't really know how you could prove any of it. And it seems like 
this voter fraud commission is becoming an intimidation tactic because he is going after all people of color. It's all been women of color specifically. People that tend to vote yeah. Democrat. Um, yeah, and it, they're all, yeah, it has been all Democrats that he's gone after. And some of them, Crystal Masons, I don't really see how that was voter fraud because she filled out a provisional ballot that was up to the state to decide whether or not. Mm. Like, she didn't fill out a ballot. And she actually um, has been doing voter registration drives all throughout her neighborhood ever since she was sentenced to make sure this doesn't discourage her neighbors from voting and the people in her community. So I just think it's amazing how much what she's still fighting for before she goes to serve her time. Right now I'm taking a minority politics class here on campus. Uh, I highly recommend it. It's probably (laughs) one of the best classes I've taken. And we're talking about how, I guess, the fear-mongering tactics of the past and just the historical context of voter suppression within, within minority communities. And it's just so crazy that that still happens now. I mean, we are seeing that in Georgia, mm-hmm. we are seeing that in Fort Worth, and it's always highlighting groups of groups of color, yeah. women. I, I think in Georgia, it's a high uh, highlighting people that even if it's this different name yeah. that they've had or different signatures on their yeah. on their ID, something crazy. I mean. It's just so crazy that we still have voter suppression in this country and we're not trying to get people to go out and vote and enhance our democracy. Yeah. It's it's unreal. Well, I was talking about that with this is such a trivial thing compared to everything we just talked <laughs> about. But Texas has the lamest I voted stickers <laughs> ever. And we're like a very like pride proud state. Like anything any opportunity we have to put the shape of Texas or yeah. the Texas flag on something, we do. I know Tennessee has really cool I voted stickers. It's in the shape of Tennessee. New York City has really cool ones. They look like the subway map. Like, I feel like that is something that will encourage people to vote because you get a cool thing for that. We just have, I have one on my computer right now, the smallest little sticker, and all it says is I voted and has an American flag. Is that the one that you got? Yeah, I just got that. For all of the listeners, it does look pretty lame. Yeah. So It's really small. It's just I, a generic one. I've seen cooler one. ones. That's what we get here in Delaware, too. I feel like if... Texas were serious about encouraging voter turnout, which is what Ken Paxton is claiming this voter fraud commission is to enhance the democratic process and to make sure everything's fair. And if they really can't cared about the about people voting in democracy, they would design a cool sticker for us because people would be proud to wear that everywhere. Like, yeah, I feel I know this is trivial, but like I right. genuinely think like, why don't we have a cool sticker? We put the state of Texas on everything, like literally <laughs> Anytime we have an opportunity to put our flag on something, it's on it. I guess you could apply for the, uh, the advertising for the yeah. the voting commission. I'm going to design a sticker and send it into them right. this week. Be like, You'll get rich because people do love Texas. We, yeah. Um, I have something to bring up. It's kind of a little related, but I felt, I don't know if you guys felt like this, but during the 2016 election, I felt like people who had a lot of influence, i.e. celebrities, people on the internet, weren't using enough of their influential power to tell people to go out and vote, you know, not necessarily for which party, but obviously most of celebrities care about being a Democrat. They say, go, you know, but, um, and I felt like that's changed recently. I don't yeah. know if you guys heard about Taylor Swift when she posted on her Instagram, they had like a 
20, no, it was like a 20, some, it was a really high percentage increase of people registering to vote. I did see that. Yeah. Yeah. And I just thought that was so interesting because I was like, where was all this when Hillary was trying to get elected? And the thing is, you're saying that now, but I guarantee you if we brought on a conservative person to talk about this subject, I guarantee that they would say that Hollywood and celebrities have way too much influence yeah. and that they should shut up. For example, yeah. the take a knee in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Lots of people say, you know, we shouldn't we shouldn't mix sports and politics here. I don't want these athletes to take away from my football. I just want to watch the game. They they shouldn't they shouldn't ruin that and it's disrespectful to the flag. They're, that's taking away they're at the end of the day, athletes are people too and they mm-hmm. have the right to voice their opinion, just as I am right now, just as my family does on social media, just as the president does on Twitter every single day. Yeah. Well, with the football protest with Kaepernick, originally he was sitting during the national anthem and a veteran approached him and was like, that's really disrespectful. He's like, it's more respectful to the flag to take a knee during it. It's like a respectful way to protest. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people... That I feel like that gets muddied over and everyone's like, well, it's about the flag in America. And you're like, well, it's not about him, like, not respecting the troops or anything like that. Like, I feel like it's gotten muddied and I don't know how more clear, like, protesters could be when it comes to that issue specifically. One interesting fact with the protests that I've always found very interesting about it's, I think, 70 percent of NFL players are people of color. African Americans mostly, mm-hmm. and about seventy percent of viewers of the NFL are white. I think sixty to seventy, I think. So it is very interesting to see that sort of division where the players grow up and live one life, different sort of backgrounds, and uh, the viewers have another sort of background, and they live life through their own point of view. So I think it's very interesting. I will definitely be talking about that later. So we only have like five minutes left. So I don't know if we wanted to go around and talk about something positive since this is a pretty depressing episode. We can each talk about something positive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if anyone's ready yet. Yeah, I'll start. I'm really happy. Although we were talking about a lot of negativity and a lot of sad events that are going on in the world around us, especially in our country, I think it's amazing the response of that is people are registering to vote. And even though politics is very divided, at the end of the day, people probably on both sides are registering to vote to get their voice heard. At the end of the day, that's only going to enhance our democracy if more people are voicing their opinion. Whether I agree with what someone says is a totally different subject, but if they're voicing their opinion, we're going to, as a country, have a better idea of where to go and how to resolve the issues that we're talking about. So the fact that, like what you were saying, after a concert, Taylor's, after a Taylor Swift concert, people are registering to vote. Mm-hmm. That is amazing. No matter who you are, you have the absolute right to voice your opinion, and that's amazing. And because of that, come next week, 
or you're going to hear that opinion, which I'm excited about. I retweet everything that Andrew just said, and I can't believe I just said retweet. Millennial, am I right? <laughs> it is really great to see people registering to vote. I remember during the 2016 election, I was like, oh, are you guys, are you going to go vote? I asked so many people, and a lot of people said, no, I'm, I'm just, I don't like anyone, so I'm not going to vote. I was like, that's not going to get anything done. It's going to hurt us in the end, and they didn't believe me. And now, this time around with the midterms, I've, I think I've only talked to one person who was like, oh, I'm not going to vote. But everyone else I've talked to was like, oh, I'm going to vote, no matter what side you're on, they were on. So, I mean, one can only hope for a blue wave yeah. on November 6th. Either way. Yeah, I guess my little hooray today is I went home to vote over the weekend Yay. in Texas. I took my little sister. She's 19. It was her very first time <gasps> voting, so... We, her, my mom, and I all voted together. And then yesterday, I took my dad to go vote, so my whole family has voted now. Um, and the poll workers there were telling me, like, they've never seen numbers like this. Oh, and my God. I'm from a really rural community, and we've had, like, the same poll workers forever at our, like, all our voting places. And they've said they've, like, never seen numbers like this before. And, you know, I have my hopes for how I want the Texas midterm specifically to, like, mm. look. But... I feel like we've already had a record-breaking um, early voting yeah. across the state, and Texas is ranked 50th in voter turnout. Like, if so, it's my, in yeah. last place. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's, that's, that's what you're telling that's us. Insane. Yeah, we're in last place. But like, if this is what it takes to get Texans motivated to get us out there and voting, like, if anything, we'll have a more democratic state. Whether or not that goes more liberal or more conservative, I feel like at the end of the day, that's still a good thing to have more people early voting in a midterm than they did in the last presidential race like I feel like this may be one of the first elections in a long time that in Texas at least we're actually like our voices are being heard because so many people are voting and have that need to go vote so well, that is my hooray people are excited about yeah Beto they are Beto mm-hmm. we'll talk more about him next, next week. week yeah I'm really excited next week yeah. just to cover I think all of the midterms and yeah. the key races yeah. maybe give our predictions yeah yeah definitely so. excited about that yeah thank you guys for tuning in today this was our first episode of pod to the left um and join us next week for midterm madness at what Ooh. time at 5 p.m 5 All to right. 6 on wvud thank you